Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This week, we're finishing up our tour in the city of Jerusalem. We've been here all week in and out of all seven gates. Uh, well, there are eight gates that surround Jerusalem, Rick, but we've been in and out seven gates this week, uh, making our way, taking a look at Israel past present and future. I'm still here in the land of Israel, but you're back in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I sure am, Jimmy. It was great being back in the land, uh, just traveling around. Uh, we always say it's the greatest classroom for teaching the Bible. That's what mm-hmm. our ministry is focused on. Like you said, we look at Israel past, present, and prophetic, and uh, it was certainly an exciting time. Glad to have this trip and glad to have future trips as we begin to tour in Israel again. We'll talk more about that in the program today. But as we get started and we look at our program today, there's so many things happening. As we've seen Russia, we've seen China, we've seen Iran, we've seen so many of the countries that are mentioned in Bible prophecy. That's right, Jimmy. And we look at these nations and we look at current events in general because they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We look at current events and we realize that what the scripture says is going to take place is quickly coming together. Yes, it sure is. Well, we need to get started. Let's get started with our first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us today to talk about geopolitical issues. He's an analyst and an author his, of many books. His latest book is called And the Rest is History. It's not a biography. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Rick, it's a pleasure to be with you, as always. Thank you. Well, Ken, you're back at your home base in Florida, but Florida had some problems this week, had some troubles with the hurricane. Did you make it through okay? Well, we dodged a bullet where I am. I'm close to Jacksonville, uh, Florida, and the hurricane went out below us. Uh, on the Atlantic side and is coming back in above Savannah or closer to Charleston. But, uh, boy, the west coast of Florida sure got pummeled. They sure did. Our prayers are definitely with them. Well, let's get into our stories this week, and I have a couple of stories I would like to talk to you about. But the first one happened just recently, Russia annexing Ukrainian territories. What's important about this? Why did Putin do it, and and what's going to happen? Well, Rick, uh, you've got to couple that with Ukraine's emergency application to join NATO. So what, what, what's happening now with these two countries, Ukraine and Russia, they're kind of like two drunks in a bar lurching at each other. Mm. They're smacking each other. They're down on the ground. They get up on one leg. They smack the other one again. And then they both fall down. Uh, and uh, they just keep on at it, keep on at it until one or the other of them dies until they kill the other one. This is a fight to the finish, and it is getting worse with every one of these steps. The so-called referendum in the uh, eastern parts of Ukraine, there's four territories, actually, that uh, Putin has now annexed. You have uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, which is what we have long time been talking about, but also Zaporizhia, where that nuclear power plant is located, and Kyrgyzstan, which is the territory just above Crimea, which Russia has occupied since 2014. So this is basically the entire eastern part of of, uh, Ukraine, which Russia is now calling Russia. Now, why is this important? Because Putin has been saying for a long time now that if Russia is attacked, he will respond with all means at his disposal, including nuclear weapons. Uh, So now he's going to call these areas of Ukraine Russia and that has opened the door for this to go to become a nuclear uh, war. These two players are lurching towards Armageddon, Rick. That's what's happening. 
They're lurching towards Armageddon like two drunks in a bar, and we should be very, very concerned at this. That is probably one of the best analogies I've heard. I think this has certainly moved past the two chess players uh, strategically thinking, and now they're just lurching after each other. So in your mind, you're saying that some of these moves are, are basically pretext for further escalation. Oh, absolutely. And and especially since the Ukrainians are winning on the battlefield. And this is something that uh, you know is not getting perhaps as much coverage as it should in the uh, national media or the international media. They've got the town of Lyman in eastern Ukraine surrounded. This is a key garrison town that the Russians are using to garrison large amounts of troops and material. The Ukrainians are coming in on all sides on that garrison town. If they wipe out the Russians or if they take them captive, if they take them prisoners, this will open up uh, a Ukrainian advance into all of the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine. And if they do that, then Putin is going to say, well, you're, you are now attacking Mother Russia. So we are going to respond with tactical nuclear weapons. And, and that's why I say this is getting very, very dangerous. This is not a joke. This is not a, a miscommunication, as some people have said early on. This is truly a fight to the finish. And the NATO side, the United States in particular, is egging Ukraine on mm. and encouraging Volodymyr Zelensky to fight to the finish. And I'm not sure that our leaders fully appreciate how dangerous this is right now. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, they've applied for application to NATO. If that happens, if and I don't know what the possibility of that happening is, but if that happens, that's tantamount to basically starting World War III. Uh, it is. And uh, remember that Sweden and Finland just did the same thing. So they have just applied to NATO. They were accepted in a matter of weeks. Uh, now, Ukraine tried this before, earlier on in the war, and NATO said no. Uh, the, not a very good time for you to join NATO, because obviously we have the Article 5 commitment. When one NATO country is attacked, all of them uh, shall respond as if their own territories had been attacked. So this is what you're getting. You're, you're, you, we are lurching towards a Russia versus NATO war, which is really something that we ought to be avoiding. Another thing happened in that same arena this week, and I've been waiting to talk to you all week about this, Ken, because I don't understand why it happened and or, or what's going to happen in the future because of this, but there was a, an explosion, a sabotage, the Nord Stream pipeline, and a, a gas leak, an underwater gas leak, and nobody's taking credit for it. Could you explain this situation and, and who benefits from it or how it may or why it may have happened? Very significant gas leaks from the two pipelines, the existing Nord Stream 1, which has been in operation, continues to operate, and Nord Stream 2, which was uh, never uh, completely opened. Uh, so both pipelines were apparently sabotaged. There were uh, initially three explosions detected. Now the Swedes are talking about a fourth explosion that they have detected. So you have at least three major leaks from these pipelines. What does it mean? It means that they cannot be used any longer. Uh, and the implication of that is to cut off Europe for a long time from Russian gas supplies until the Russians themselves, since they own uh, through Gazprom uh, and a consortium, since they are basically going to be the ones who have to fix the pipelines until Russia decides to fix those pipelines. So who benefits from this? You have both Putin and the Americans, the U.S. administration, blaming each other. Yeah. I would argue, first of all, we, we don't know. We don't have any information. So this is all speculation. But if you look at who benefits from this, 
both sides, Rick, hmm. both sides benefit from this. If Putin did it, what's he doing? He's telling the Germans, he's putting the Germans in particular up against the wall saying, uh, look, I am the king. You've been uh, not behaving very nicely towards me, not very respectfully towards me. I'm going to cut you off completely from all natural gas. You're not going to get anything. You may as well just burn wood this winter. Uh, now, if the United States did it, which would be pretty extraordinary, uh, there is no, uh, as far as I am aware, there is no history of the U.S. conducting this kind of uh, international sabotage. It would require the president to notify the intelligence committees in the Senate and the House for there to be a presidential finding uh, to carry out this kind of covert operation. Highly unlikely. Nevertheless, uh, there are ways of getting around that. Uh, having a non-government entity carry out the sabotage, perhaps a private mercenary company, a private military company, which is entirely possible. But the U.S. benefits because it essentially does the same thing to the Germans, says, look, um, you know, the, these Russians aren't going to be helping you anytime soon. They're not coming to the rescue. We are your only hope. And it reinforces U.S. leadership uh, in, in the NATO alliance and in Europe. And by the way, it distracts from the absolutely disastrous uh, debacle that we suffered in Afghanistan because of this administration's failed leadership. So both sides benefit, in a way, from this sabotage which is truly scary. Okay, and you usually have pretty good instincts for these type of things. It comes from experience. If you had to give an opinion, and I know it's an opinion, who do you think did it? Well, I would think that the Russians did it because Putin does have a track record of blowing up his own infrastructure mm. for political gain. He did this in 1999, uh, just as he was running for president at the beginning of the Chechen war, the second Chechen war. And he blew up an apartment building in the suburbs of Moscow, killing 300 people. He had no problems about doing that whatsoever. It's crystal clear the KGB, uh, then KGB, did it, and Putin didn't care. So he's got a track record. The U.S. does not. Well, we will keep an eye on that situation. So many developments there along that front. But uh, before you go, Ken, we just have a minute here. I wanted to get an update from you on a story that we talked about last week, and it's the protests that are taking place in Iran right now. What's your feel for that story there? Well, they are accelerating. The protests are accelerating. They are generalized all across the country. Iran Human Rights Watch is saying there's 83 dead so far. President Raisi, uh, the hardline, so-called hardline president, they're all hardline, Rick. <laughs> there are no moderates in this regime. Uh, but he has talked about a red line. Uh, they are arresting celebrities, singers, soccer players, TV personalities, filmmakers, and trying to arrest anybody in a position of influence who is showing support or sympathy towards these demonstrations. I think what they're doing, Rick, when they talk about this red line, I think the killing, the serious killing, is about to begin. Well, we'll keep an eye on that situation. And, of course, our prayers are there as well because that is a brutal dictatorship. Well, Ken, thank you so much for keeping our listeners informed. For those listeners that would like to know more about Ken or to find out about his book, you can go to KenTimmerman.com. I encourage you to do so. But, Ken, I am glad that you stayed safe there in Florida. You stay safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. A Amen, Rick. Amen. God bless. Thank you. We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, we will have our Middle East news update with Dave Dolan. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is the segment of the program where we typically have our Middle East news update. We focus on news coming out of the Middle East in general and Israel in particular. To do that with us this week, we have author and journalist Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, we're in that period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur after the New Year, and uh, this is the High Holy Days, and uh, it looks like there's an alert going out in Israel. In fact, Hamas has warning Israel that they will attack, and they're especially sensitive to the Alaska Moss area and the Temple Mount compound. Can you tell us what the situation there is on the ground? Well, Rick, it's traditional. It's fairly usual, sadly, for there to be extra violence from the Palestinians during the Jewish feast days. Of course, we had that earlier in the year in the spring around Passover and uh, clashes up on the Temple Mount at that time. There's always an increased stream of Jewish visitors to the Temple Mount and the other, well, all sorts of religious sites during the uh, Jewish holidays, and especially the High Holy Days, as you say, extending to next Tuesday, uh, Yom Kippur, and then really um, five days later begins the week-long Feast of Tabernacles. So really we have three weeks of uh, nearly three weeks of Jewish celebrations in the fall, the fall feast. And uh, yeah, the police are on full alert, and indeed there were extra clashes in and around the Temple Mount, especially in the nearby town of Silwan. I used to live uh, with a view of that town just east of uh, the old city on the Mount of Olives. There were some riots uh, that went on there earlier in the week, 
Israeli police arrested several people that were instigating that, uh, 14 actually in total. And on the Temple Mount itself, the police said that some Palestinians had hidden inside of the mosque overnight on the first day of uh, Rosh Hashanah, so as to be undetected the next morning. And, you know, once the doors are locked, they usually don't go and scour the whole mosque just to make sure nobody's in there. And they sprang out and they started some violence and they started chanting and they were especially attacking these Jewish visitors. Again, Rosh Hashanah, so always an extra uh, thing there. And Rick, we also had something uh, abroad in Ukraine with the war raging there. We had Iranian drones, Iranian supplied drones supplied to Russia. Uh, at least 10 of them fired at a Jewish gathering in central Ukraine, the town of Uman, where a famous Hasidic rabbi, ultra-Orthodox rabbi, Nachman, is buried. And every Rosh Hashanah, tens of thousands of Orthodox Jews gather there to commemorate him and to celebrate the Jewish holiday. But the last two years, they couldn't do that because of COVID. This year, they were warned not to come by the Ukrainian and Israeli governments because of the war. But nevertheless, over 10,000 Israeli Hasidic Jews went there and others from the States and elsewhere. And these rockets suddenly were fired, these uh, drones at this town that hadn't been part of the action up until now. So it looked like Russia was deliberately targeting these Jews. And there were reports in the Israeli media that when Iran supplied these drones to Russia, very much needed by Russia, they made a condition that some of them be fired at Jewish targets in Ukraine in the war zone. So both in Israel and abroad, we had some extra trouble. But again, that's pretty normal. Uh, Like you said, though, we had Hamas once again, issuing inciting statements. This was in an Arabic newspaper. I'll quote it. Our rockets in Gaza are ready for attack in response to the desecration of Al-Aqsa, which, of course, Israel is not desecrating. A few hundred visitors are going up there on the holidays, but that's what they said. They're all loaded and ready to fire. Islamic Jihad echoed that. And we had another disturbing statement from Jordan in connection to that this week, Rick. The foreign ministry there issued a statement, and again, I'll quote, that the trouble is being instigated by Israeli extremists storming Blessed Al-Aqsa Mosque Mm. with extensive protection of Israeli police. So uh, alleging that the Israeli police are in on this storming of the Temple Mount, well, the police have been up there for decades. The Jordanians know that, Israeli police, and they're just trying to keep the peace up there. But um, their statement went on, it violates the sanctity of, uh, of the holy site and its scandalous violations of international law. Well, again, that's all uh, nonsense. But uh, the Jordanians are harping on this uh, is a sign that they feel probably that, as you said last week in your response to what I reported, that they have to appease their hardliners, their Palestinian population, a lot of uh, supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood in Jordan. And so they're issuing these statements that they know, the government of Jordan knows, to be rather absurd. Well, unfortunately, it's a situation that the Jewish people know all too well that they must be on alert both in Israel and around the world. Well, 
There are certain groups there, Hamas being one of them, who use these holy days in a time when Jewish people will go up on the Temple Mount not to change the status quo, not to do anything, but just visit what they view as the holiest spot in the world for their religion. These groups will use that as a pretext to start problems, and that's just a story as old as time here on the Temple Mount, isn't it? It is, and again, the police were expecting extra trouble. There always is, or almost always is, uh, during the Jewish Holy Days. We often have clashes down in Hebron as well, where Jews are allowed into the burial cave of Abraham and the other patriarchs and two of the matriarchs, and Jews are only allowed in there on several uh, Jewish religious days through the year. This is by agreement with the PLO. This didn't come out of thin air. When Yasser Arafat signed the Oslo Accords in 93, he agreed that Jews could continue to visit that mosque in Hebron on certain days and the Temple Mount on certain religious holidays as well. So, um, you know, they're pretending this is coming out of the blue. But, of course, it's Hamas and Islamic Jihad that are mostly making the noise and ordering attacks on the ground. By the way, we had a couple shooting attacks uh, near Hebron this Thursday. Um, a Jewish group put the, in a tour bus that was looking at what they said were Palestinian building violations in Area C of the territories, which is under full Israeli control. And they were out at a cemetery that hadn't been authorized, and they were suddenly shot at. Nobody was hit or hurt, and there was another shooting nearby. So again, Iran pushing them on and uh, trouble elsewhere in the world right now. So it's always possible that they could decide to once again push for a full conflict, but we're hoping because Hamas stayed out of the Islamic Jihad rocket barrage upon Israel earlier this summer. So, you know, there's a a hope that we won't go into a fuller war now, but uh, it's always possible. It just depends on what the other side wants. Israel wants quiet, wants peace, wants calm. They're not instigating this. They continue to arrest Palestinian militants in the northern West Bank, northern Samaria, but that's because we've had a whole spate of terror attacks this year, and they're trying to quell that. So again, Israel's not initiating any of this. It's mostly just responding to what the other side is doing. Well, we looked at the Temple Mount, which is certainly a flashpoint. Another area that is a flashpoint are what is called, quote-unquote, the settlements, which is Jewish development in the land that we call Judea and Samaria, but the world may call the West Bank. America and the U.S. ambassador are really pressuring Israel on this issue, aren't they? They are indeed. Uh, We had a statement from Tom Nidus, the uh, U.S. ambassador to Israel, this week once again saying that the Biden administration strongly opposes Israeli construction in any part of Judea and Samaria over the Green Line, the 1967 border that existed then, and even in East Jerusalem, They said no more building should occur. This is the position that former Democratic Party administrations have always held, uh, with Republican administrations usually being a little more in favor. And, of course, the former President Trump very much supportive of Israel building in certain areas. But Nida said, no, we want that to stop. He said that the U.S. plans to give the Palestinians $500 million this year for aid and the United Nations Relief Agency getting some of that. 
And that's a reversal of um, Trump's uh, blocking of that aid. So uh, the money's flowing there. But the um, Israeli government has said that they will continue natural growth. They are not, as they pointed out, building new settlements, new communities, new towns. They're just adding some new apartment buildings in existing communities. Uh, one is a new neighborhood in uh, the Hargilo area. I believe your your late father lived up there um, for a while uh, in South Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It's part of municipal Jerusalem, and you're going to get continued growth of housing there. It's mm-hmm. just going to happen, which is the way that Trump saw it and uh, not the way that uh, the Biden administration sees it. So Matt is making that comment, and he did uh, meet with the Israeli prime minister and made these uh, positions clear, he said. The new Israeli prime minister, who may or may not be prime minister after the elections in early November. Yes, it is very important to be clear and and distinction. And many people look at these settlements as new areas, but often it's just additions to homes and communities that are long established and have been there for quite a while. Well, Dave, we're going to have to take a break real quick, but I was hoping that you can hold on through the break with us. I'd like to ask you about the arrival of some red heifers to the state of Israel. Can you stick with us just for a few more minutes? No. No, I mean, yes, I can. (laughs) Very good. Stick with us for Dave's insightful commentary when we come back right here on Prophecy Today Radio. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy to understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. Along with Rick, we do examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And there really is a formula that we use. It's God's prophetic word. how we understand the final timeline, beginning with the rapture of the church, the next thing on God's timeline, then a peace treaty that will be confirmed by the Antichrist. That's what starts that seven-year period of time, the tribulation period. And the things that we look at on this program with our friends, our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman and David Dolan, really do help us to set that stage as to how close that we are to the Antichrist coming on the scene and confirming a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. It's so very close, Rick. And then as we take a look at that seven-year period of time, the things that are taking place, everything that we look at really does help us to understand how close that we're getting. I'm so glad that Ken and Dave each week come give us information pertaining to events in Bible prophecy. Well, let's get started with our next broadcast partners that are helping us to understand Bible prophecy as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. 
Well, thanks, Jimmy. And as we mentioned before the break, Dave Dolan has agreed to come back because there's a few more stories that we'd like to get his thoughts on today. Uh, One of those stories, of course, is the arrival of the Red Heifers to the state of Israel. But before that, uh, there's a few stories with nuclear undertones that I wanted to get your thoughts on. The first one is... Israel tells a nuclear watchdog that Iran is a source of Middle East instability, which I think uh, you could certainly make a case for that. But then in a somewhat related story, Israel is saying they may share some nuclear tech with the Abraham Accord states. Uh, Can you tell us about those two stories? Well, yes, the head of the uh, Israeli Atomic um, Energy Agency this week, Moshe Edry, said that uh, Israel, you know, has peace with these Abraham countries, and uh, in light of the continuing Iranian nuclear threat, uh, which, as you say, is ongoing and very much a real problem for Israel, to say the least, that their allies in in the Abraham Accords are also fearful, of course, of Iran's nuclear program, and uh, especially the Gulf state. So he said, we have uh, some advanced technology that we would be willing to share with these countries to help them protect themselves against future possible Iranian attacks. So that was a a very interesting, it's one thing talking about peace accords being signed, it's another for Israel to offer to possibly Mm. share some of its top nuclear technologies with these countries. So um, he said we have a state-of-the-art technology, provides us with significant levels of knowledge and capabilities, which we are ready to share with others of course, under the International Atomic Energy Agency umbrella. So they're not just going to do it out of the blue or under the table, but they're willing to do that. And that is a real move. And obviously the Iranians uh, dealing with riots in their cities and all the other situations around the area would not be so thrilled to see Israel do that. And another reason, uh, frankly, for Iran to attack Israel, not that they need any more of them. Certainly highlights what can be called the success of the Abraham Accords and then shines a light on the concern that Israel has for the threat, basically an existential threat coming out of Iran. Well, as you heard before the break, Dave has some very insightful commentary about the arrival of the Red Heifer. So, uh, Dave, we appreciate you sticking with us through the break. And tell us a little bit more about what you know about the arrival of the historic arrival of the Red Heifers to Israel. Well, Rick, it's a moving story. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) carrying on with the moves here. Uh, Actually, it was a moving story. Five uh, Red Heifers from Texas were flown to Israel in mid-September, and there was a ceremony at Ben-Gurion Airport when they arrived. The Temple Mount Institute, you're quite familiar with that group, and your late father was, and, and I am too, and several other groups that want to rebuild the temple. They had uh, some of their leaders down there to uh, greet the party bringing the cows. The cows were then sent up to isolation near Haifa to a farm up there to be quarantined, make sure they're not bringing in any diseases or anything like that. And then they'll be moved to two different locations in Israel, one a private one and one a public one where people can actually go and look at a couple of these cows. Well, this all comes from Leviticus, from Numbers, I should say, Numbers chapter 19, where um, the children of Israel were told to do various things in order to be pure before the Lord and for the priest to be able to go into the temple 
after they had come in contact with uh, a dead person, meaning, frankly, sometimes their wives would die in their bed, you know, next door or their children or something like that, and they had no choice but to have actual contact with them, that uh, they had to be ritually purified. And the way to do that was with the ashes of a pure red heifer. Uh, Now, these five red heifers that have come have to remain without blemish, if even a few white hairs grow on them or are found on them, then they disqualif- they're disqualified from this sacrificial decree. Uh, but it's uh, very colorful because uh, it was a Christian, a Texas Christian uh, rancher that set out to find five of these red heifers and to grow some, and he did that. And he's part of a Christian Jewish organization called Bonet Israel, which is Build Israel in English. Uh, Byron Stinson, and he came with the cows to Israel uh, on the plane and was uh, greeted in the country. But he noted that they have to be at least two years old to be slaughtered uh, and to be turned into ashes. That's according to the Bible. Again, they have to be completely pure, completely red, and it, it will take at least another year. Most of the cows are around one year old now. It's after they're two years old, that uh, it's you, you can determine whether they're going to be pure enough to be a part of this or not. And um, so he pointed out, um, Stinson did in press interviews when he got to Israel, that in just a little over a year, they could actually slaughter some of these cows. And most people would think, well, that can't, doesn't that have to happen in the temple itself and only in the temple? And there is no temple. We just discussed the opposite of that uh, going on right now in Jerusalem. And um, he pointed out that no, they're, as the rabbis do, that uh, they can slaughter them in certain locations. It has to be in Jerusalem, it has to be near the Temple Mount, and it has to face the Temple Mount, and it has to be at the same level as the Temple Mount. Well, this group has bought a piece of land on the Mount of Olives, Mm. he announced, to carry this out in a year, year and a half, if indeed uh, they remain pure. And even if all five donors, all they need is one. And, um, you know, it's also pointed out the ashes don't go bad. They can be used for many decades after this uh, ceremony is carried out. And in ancient times, that's what happened. There was just two or three uh, recorded occasions where these cows were actually ritually slaughtered and their uh, ashes burnt, of course, so that they had their ashes. So it's very interesting. And as he pointed out uh, in his interviews, it doesn't mean the temple's about to be rebuilt or even in 10 years or 100. We just don't know. But he said this will turn the key of the cars, the way he put it, uh, to move it in that direction. It didn't get a lot of press attention in Israel, Rick, uh, when the cows arrived in that. And what when it did, it was often scornful <laughs> because, of course, the secular left-wing Israeli press is not interested in rebuilding the temple, let alone in, in sacred cows coming into the country, as it were. So there, there were a couple stories, but they were mostly derisional. 
But, of course, Orthodox Jews are noticing and ultra-Orthodox Jews are noticing. And um, the Palestinians, of course, are noticing, too. And this will give them another reason to shout and scream, I suppose. But interesting times we live in, that's for sure. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, these cows do remain uh, ritually pure and totally red and uh, are actually slaughtered. And if that's even allowed to happen, because, of course, the Mount of Olives is a largely Arab area and uh, frankly, we would probably see a lot of trouble uh, on the ground uh, if it happened. So we'll see. But uh, interesting indeed. Well, it certainly is. And like you said, a moving story. But, you know, really it was. And there was some, like you said, that met it with derision. But there was others that were excited about the event. And I think, David, that just speaks to a general feeling in Israel, kind of a more growing close to the idea of building another temple. Many for years that has been people that have been on the fringe. But as the years have gone by, there's been more people visiting the Temple Mount. Stories like this about the red heifer coming to the land. And it's starting to come out in more mainstream thought, the idea of a third temple, isn't it? Well, it is, Rick. And when I moved to Israel in 1980, uh, you hardly heard a peep about it. There certainly weren't these various, I just mentioned Bonet Israel, this group of Christians and Jews that are working towards the rebuilding of the temple, basically. And um, there's several uh, Jewish groups in Israel that are doing the same. Those didn't exist in 1980. And we have a leading um, right-wing politician that's uh, about to enter the Knesset, the new Knesset, with a a fair amount of uh, support, it looks like, the polls are showing. And he's very much in favor of rebuilding the temple. So it's being discussed on TV, whereas it wasn't at all in the 80s. Uh, It's being discussed in homes and and, uh, restaurants, and people are, are noticing it to a certain extent. And as you said, that segment of the Israeli population, and it's a minority, I would say it's probably 25-30%, who would like to see a temple rebuilt. And of those, many of the Orthodox say it shouldn't, as you know, it shouldn't be Israel that does that, only the Messiah. And by the way, they believe that the, um, uh, well, it says in, in, a Bibli- in, not biblical, but in some ancient Jewish writings, it says that um, the third time there would be a sacrifice of these heifers, it would be the Messiah that would bring them to Israel. Well, Stinson doesn't claim to be the Messiah, but that it would be in the Messianic age, in fact, is what it means, you know. So, yes, it is definitely uh, building in excitement amongst those that are really wanting to see uh, a temple rebuilt, and uh, and even as we've discussed, those Israelis that aren't at all interested in that are still increasingly interested in going up as tourists to the Temple Mount, looking around. And, you know, why should we be forbidden from our people's most holy site on earth uh, after we've returned to the land, rebuilt the country, are rebuilding it, and, uh, you know, we can't even go there. So, yeah, the opinions are slowly changing, and it's definitely moving in that direction. And we know that in the end, there is going to be something go on up there. The scriptures make that clear. So uh, exciting times and more signs of the Lord's return. That's what I get most excited about, that the indications that we are in the end times and that it's time to get ready because uh, Yeshua, Jesus, is coming, and, uh, and his kingdom is coming fully to earth, and that's the blessed hope. Uh, Whether you believe in heifers or not, that's the blessed hope that uh, the believers share. And and the good news is that the signs are increasing that that it's soon. 
Well, that's right, David. And just to be clear for our listeners, the reason we are interested and even excited about this is because the end time scenario that is laid forth in prophetic scripture says that there will be a temple standing on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem in the last days. And it certainly seems like events are taking place on the ground that are moving forward to make that happen, which, like you said, means that God is getting ready to put his plan into action for the end of days. Well, David, thank you so much for keeping our listeners informed as we talk about these current events that are taking place that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, I'm glad to do it, Rick, and I'll end by saying God bless and Maranatha. Well, such a fascinating story, the red heifers coming into the land of Israel and what that might mean for the rebuilding of the temple. Well, Jimmy, you and I will continue to talk about this a little more in the look at the book. But first, let's continue on with our next guest. And we have with us on the line, Dr. Rich Schmidt of Prophecy Focus Ministries. And Rich is a Bible teacher, he's a pastor, and he's a good friend of ours. Doc, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Rick. I'm looking forward to our chat. Well, we have a sobering topic today, so let's get right into it. There appears to be an increase in the number of deaths from something other than natural causes. And having been in law enforcement for 32 years and former acting sheriff in Milwaukee County, Rich, and you've also been in ministry for over 40 years, does the Bible speak to an increase of deaths in the end times? Well, it absolutely does. And what's interesting, Rick, is that about every single year, we average about 60 million people die every single year. Now, things that have really come to the forefront recently, of course, with, uh, and I know there's differing opinions on this regarding the politicalization and so forth of COVID-19, but there, realistically, there has been some 6.5 million deaths worldwide based on uh, uh, the perceived pandemic. A million people just in America have died from that. So it's really brought a accent, if you will, on the amount of people dying. Well, it is interesting because the Bible literally does speak to this issue. And in Revelation 6, verses 7 and 8, it literally talks about a massive number of people that are going to die in the prophetic future. And uh, it's actually what's known as the fourth seal judgment. And it talks about literally one-fourth of the world's population will die. Now, if you look at our current statistics, there's about 7.3 billion people who live in the world today. That's a lot of people. And when you think about one-fourth of that world's population dying, Mm. that accounts to about 1.8 billion people. That's a, a number. That's an astronomical number. Nobody can even comprehend until it actually happens. So we're seeing many, many different things taking place that are accentuating, if you will, the different things that uh, Revelation 6 talks about. Well, Dr. Schmidt, I'm looking at that passage right now, and it speaks to four different ways that that massive percentage of the Earth's population will die. Do you see an increase in deaths, either by violence or hunger, or even animals? Well, this is really interesting, Rick, because what we're seeing right now, not just in America, but around the world, These specific issues, as you just mentioned in Revelation 6, verse 8, talks about that fourth of the world's population, death, and even by beasts of the earth, which is really a strange concept to us. Interestingly enough, just in 2022, 33,000 Americans 
have been killed by gun violence. That's a massive amount of number, and it keeps increasing. Homicide rates right now in uh, September of 2022, already over 15,000 confirmed homicides, suicides, Mm. 18,000. 512 mass shootings. So when we talk about violence, if you will, from Revelation chapter 6, speaking of sword, which of course includes any type of violence, it's on the rise. When you think about hunger, and uh, in America, it's a very hard thing for many of us to respond to because most of us really are, are well fed. It's a great food supply. But interesting enough, the World Food Program, which, of course, is one of the globalist organizations, reports that over 9 million people die every single year from hunger. That's a lot of people. Now, what's really interesting is when you think about beasts of the field killing someone, that's really something that's foreign to most of us here in America. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting when you look at the data that exists one million people die a year from mosquito bites. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that sounds almost uncomprehensible, but it's a fact. 100,000 people die from snake bites. 30,000 people die from dogs. Uh, another, And it just keeps going. Snails and bugs and other things such as crocodiles and hippopotamuses in, in different areas, which, mm-hmm. again, it's foreign to most of us in America. But thousands and thousands of people are dying, if you will, from animals and vermin and mosquito bites. The Bible makes it very clear there will be pestilences that will occur in the future, in the prophetic future, after what you often talk about, Rick, the rapture of the church, that seven-year tribulation period, which is when all of these judgments will take place. It's literally the wrath of God will exponentially increase. So these things are pointing to, they're setting the stage, as your dad used to say, they're setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And yes, there is a significant increase in these type of deaths right now in our current age. Well, Rich, those numbers are just astonishing. Are there any other biblical texts that speak to this increase of deaths in the end times? Well, unfortunately, there are, Rick. Now, Revelation chapter 6, as we just mentioned, talks about one-fourth of the world's population, or approximately 1.8 billion people, based on the current statistics of our population, will die. Now we go ahead to Revelation chapter 9, and it talks about another major set of judgments that will take out one-third of the remaining population. Now, I'm not the best mathematician in town, but when you take one-fourth of the Earth's population is gone, now that leaves basically three-fourths left. When you take away a third of that, you now have 50% of the world's population will be destroyed Mm. by just two judgments. Mm. Now, the second judgment is what's known as the sixth judgment or the sixth uh, uh, trumpet judgment. And in this, it says this in verse 15 that there will be, if you will, this 200 million, uh, basically what I think is a satanically led army, beings, if you will, that will kill one third of mankind. And it actually tells us how this is going to take place. It says that they'll be killed by, by these particular issues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which come out of their mouths, for their powers in their mouth and in their tails, for their 
tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. So this God is going to allow in the future, and, and now, Rick, the big question is, why will God allow 50% of the world's population? Now we're going, when you go to 7.3 billion current people, 1.8 billion is one-fourth. Now double that, you're at 3.6 billion people, 50% of the Earth's population. Why is God doing this? Well, the answer is God is preparing this earth for his second coming where he will allow nothing that is evil to exist on this earth so the problem here is yes one just in these two judgments 50 percent of the earth's population is going to be wiped out and this should get our attention rick because we have a chance today today to make a decision to place our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he made it very clear that we're all sinners. None of us deserve to go to heaven. But Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, and he has a free gift waiting for us. The thing is that every person who refuses or rejects that free gift, if the rapture happens in our generation, and Rick, I certainly think that's a very, very strong Mm -hmm. probability based on all the things we're seeing, those that aren't raptured, they will indeed be left behind, if you will, to go through these horrible plagues that we just talked about. Well, that is true. With the, the gospel message, if that does not motivate us, looking at those numbers, if that does not motivate us to get out the gospel message, nothing else will. Well, it, just to wrap up this conversation, Rich, based on all of these judgments that Revelation reveals, do you have an opinion on the percentage of the Earth's population that will die during the entire seven-year tribulation period? Well, it's very interesting you ask that, Rick, because there actually is one verse in what's known as the Olivet Discourse, which was Jesus, if you will, powerful preaching on prophetic end times issues. And in Matthew chapter 24, 22, he, Jesus makes this startling statement regarding that seven-year tribulation. And here's what he said in verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, what's he talking about? Basically, the days, I don't believe the 24-hour days will be shortened, but the time period is kept to that seven-year period. I have to uh, relate a particular quick story that I heard some years ago, which really accentuated this to me. I'm at a prophecy conference, and the, the particular prophecy teacher said, listen, I believe that over 90% of the Earth's population will die during the tribulation period. When I heard that, I was absolutely startled because in the past I'd only heard maybe, maybe the 50% mark. That made sense. But when you he took us to this verse and said, listen, there's 28 major judgments that will take place during the tribulation period. And the Bible makes it clear that all these judgments, not just the two that take out 50%, but there will be loss of life from all of those judgments. So, Rick, what's just a horrifying, sad commentary is that, indeed, well, not just 50% of the Earth's population, but it could be well into the 60, 70, 80, even 90-plus percent of the Earth's population will die. Why? Because these people refuse to place their faith and trust in Christ, something that me and you can do 
today. I urge anyone listening, if they've never accepted that free gift of eternal life by placing their faith and trust in what Jesus did for them, that they do so this very moment. What an excellent message to share to our listeners right now. And we have had that opportunity ourselves to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. I think, Rich, if you look at it uh, and you look at this destruction that is going to be coming, and we even see it, we have a small taste of it right now. You're a prophecy teacher, and that's what you're teaching us on today, but you're also a pastor. So I appreciate the message of hope that you give, first of all, that us as Christians will be preserved and saved from this, but also that those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who choose to do so can be saved from this destruction as well. That's the message of hope, isn't it, Rich? It absolutely is. And, and Rick, that is that is our pastoral heart, that every single person is a soul for whom Christ died. And it, it's just so imperative. When you, when you think about the deaths that have been taking place, when you look at the COVID pandemic, when you look at the wars that are taking place, when you look at things like Afghanistan and the amount of deaths that have happened there since uh, our troops have pulled out, when you look at the massive number of religions that teach that everyone goes to heaven, hopefully by the good works they do, and yet God says, listen, it's not by what we do, it's by what he did, what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. It's it's just a, a horrifying thing to know that so many people, they listen to radio or TV or even go to church sometimes, and they hear from their religious leaders that working is what will get them to heaven. Do your best and, and just hope that God will take you. And yet God gives an assurance. And Rick, I'll close this this with these these two verses. Here's the free gift that God has and wants to give to every single person who will place their faith in him. Here it is, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's a promise for every listener. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved. It's through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Rich, that is the great news. It certainly is, folks. That's Dr. Rich Schmidt, and he, as a prophecy teacher, he let us know what the Bible says is going to happen, and it's terrible, folks. But he also, as a pastor, share with us that we have a great hope. Well, Rich, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on our program, as always, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thanks so much for having me, Rick, and say hello to the family. Will do. Thank you. Well, we're going to have to take a break right now, but when we come back, we're going to hear from the late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series. And then after that, Jimmy and I are going to wrap up everything you have heard today in the A Look at the Book segment. That's all right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, being in the city of Jerusalem helps us to understand as we help others to understand the past, the history of Jerusalem, the present, the modern day, the reunification of the city of Jerusalem in 1967, and then, of course, the future of Jerusalem. And on our legacy series today, we'll be talking about that. But if people wanted to find out how they could go to Israel, how would they do that? Well, you can learn more about our ministry and our trips to Israel by going to prophecytoday.com. You could learn about our ministry, and you could also learn about future tours, which, I, like I said, trip of a lifetime, you would not regret going to Israel. 
Well, as I said on today's Legacy Series, we're going to conclude our study on heaven. Last time we looked at heaven today and heaven tomorrow. Let me remind you that heaven tomorrow is heaven on earth, the thousand-year kingdom headquartered in the city of Jerusalem. That's the millennial kingdom. Jesus returns to the earth, and he answers the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, Jesus builds a temple in the city of Jerusalem, but then what happens? Well, that will be our study for today on the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Jesus builds a temple. He reinstitutes the temple sacrificial system. Chapter 45 of the book of Ezekiel talks about at least three sacrifices. The sacrifice of the new year, the sacrifice of Passover, and the sacrifice of tabernacles. At least those three in chapter 45. In fact, look what it says here in chapter 45 and verse 21. And in the first month, in the 14th day of the month, that's Nisan 14, when Passover always takes place, ye shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days of unleavened bread shall be eaten. And upon that day shall the prince prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bullock for a sin offering. The prince prepares that sin offering for all the people and himself. Now who's the prince? It's not Jesus Christ. He's the king. The prince, according to Ezekiel chapter 34, 37, and 45, is King David who comes back as a co-regent with Jesus Christ. King David, the Davidic covenant given to him, he comes back 40, excuse me, 24 times from chapter 34 to chapter 48 of the book of Ezekiel. It's referring to the prince and it's defined as King David. Right there in the scriptures, you can read it as well as I can. He comes back. He's the one who prepares this sacrifice. Then you say, why would they institute sacrifices? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Well, that is correct. But let me ask you a question. Those sacrifices in the past ever take away sin? The answer is no. They covered sin. Even Yom Kippur covered it for, for a year. Or it restored fellowship. And in fact, Jesus Christ wants this to happen as a memorial to what was the system he told the Jews and they failed to recognize him as that ultimate sacrifice. When we have the communion service, we don't crucify Jesus Christ a, a second time. We do it in memorial. So that's the first reason for sacrifices. The second sacrifice, what did I tell you? All these people come with physical bodies. They still have a sin nature. Oh, they're saved. They're saved. But they have, I mean, you know, have we ever sinned since we got saved? That's 1 John 1, 9. If we will confess our sins and be faithful just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so since the kingdom is for the Jewish people, they understand restoring fellowship. And so these people coming out of the tribulation in physical bodies with a sin nature still, they go to the temple and offer sacrifice for restoring fellowship. That's heaven. That's heaven on earth, a beautiful, beautiful location. Let's go to heaven forever and ever. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Now, there's so much here, I just don't have the time to deal with it. Let me just whet your appetite to study, to understand. Where is heaven? Listen, heaven is not the third heaven. You are not going to the third heaven for eternity. 
How do I know? Well, in Revelation chapter 21, notice what it says. Verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. I'm going to go back to Isaiah. If you have a chance, you can get there, but look at it later. In Isaiah 66, you know, Revelation chapter 21 is not the first mention of a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 22, Isaiah 66, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall the seed of your name remain for for me. That means the Jews are going to be as long as the new heavens and the new earth. In chapter 65 of the book of Isaiah, verse 17, for behold, I create, I create bara in Hebrew, the same word used in Genesis 1. I create, listen, Jesus refurbished for the millennial kingdom. Now he creates second Peter chapter three, verse 10, the old earth and the old heavens have been burned up. All of them, one, two, and three. Why three? Because Satan had access daily to the throne of God. He desecrated the third heaven. It is burned up and he creates new heavens, new earth. But the new heaven this time is not another third heaven. It's not another third heaven. It's that definition of heaven, sky, atmospheric heaven. And the atmospheric heaven is the new Jerusalem. It's described in the book of Revelation chapter 21. The atmospheric heaven will contain the new Jerusalem. Now, how do I know it's in the heaven and not on the earth? You you say, I thought it says, I saw heaven, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Well, that's true, but it didn't come all the way to earth. Why? Because what did God promise the Jewish people? A piece of real estate, a piece of real estate in the Middle East. How long did he promise they would have it? Forever. And so they get 10 times what they have today, which would include half of Egypt, all of Israel, all of Lebanon, all of Jordan, all of Syria, three quarters of Iraq, all of Kuwait, and three quarters of Saudi Arabia. That's what they're going to get forever forever. It's on the old earth. It's going to be on the new earth. And Jerusalem, the city is going to be there. Now, how do I know that then that's going to be not the new Jerusalem? Because in that city of Jerusalem on the new earth is going to be a temple. The book of Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 26 and 28 says there's going to be a temple in that earthly Jerusalem forever. It's the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. How long did he say in 2 Samuel, these people, these Jewish people would have a place and a temple and a king to rule them forever. Besides, God and Jesus are in the new Jerusalem. And there's no temple there. You got chapter 21? Look at chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. In the new Jerusalem where we go to live forever, there is no temple. But it has to be a temple in Jerusalem, Ezekiel 37, 26, and 28, forever. Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, forever the temple's there. And so there's no contradiction in the word of God. And so then the new Jerusalem will hover over us. It's 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide. That's from Miami, Florida to Boston, Massachusetts. That's from Boston, Massachusetts to Chicago, Illinois. That's wide and long and high. Oh man, I, you know, I ride a lot of airplanes. 
I've got those captains on those airplanes down pat. Here's what they say. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome you on this Delta flight. We're on our way to New York City. The weather looks pretty good. Howbeit, uh, we keep our seats fastened here, our seat belts uh, in our cockpit, because if we hit some turbulent weather, you could get hurt. So we would suggest you do the same thing. Uh, weather's clear in New York City. We'll be uh, reaching a cruising altitude about 35,000 feet here in a moment. Just sit back and relax, and we'll see you in New York. Got that pretty good, don't I? <laughs> heard it so many times. The last time I heard it, he said, 35,000 feet. I looked out. I could see semi-trailer trucks about like that. I couldn't even see people walking. I could see a couple of cars. 35,000 feet. I said, wow, this is high. But then I got to thinking, 35,000 feet? Man, that's only seven miles. The New Jerusalem is 200 times that high. Glory to God, man. They, they tell me you could put 20 billion people in the New Jerusalem and not even see each other. Wow. And by the way, listen, it does not have streets of gold in the New Jerusalem. I was over in Italy preaching. I was preaching. I said, there are no streets of gold in the New Jerusalem. And this one kid walked up. He says, hey, Dr. DeYoung, my Bible says it's a plaza, not a street. I said, son, I, I know the Greek. It's a street. I intimidated him so bad, he's probably in some kind of a home someplace now. <laughs> I got home to the missionary's house, Beto Terezuk, and I picked up the concordance, and we looked up the word, and, you know, it really could be translated plaza instead of street, because the New Jerusalem is four square, and there's no streets in Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Look here in verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every gate was of one pearl. And the street, one street, probably that plaza, the four square city, one street. Look at chapter 22, verse 2. And in the midst of the street of it, only one street. Oh, by the way, look what else is here. Verse Two of chapter 22. And in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there a tree of life. Not only in the new Jerusalem and the heavenlies where there be a tree of life, there will be one on the earth in the Jerusalem where the temple is standing. And so those living on the earth eat of that tree of the life and we, we eat of the tree of life. Now I don't quite understand why we eat, but we do eat of the tree of life in the new Jerusalem. I think eating, you know what, you know how you spell fellowship, don't you? F-O-O-D. And whenever we get together for fellowship, you have food. So I think that's a part of it. And by the way, since we're going to eat forever, boy, that sounds great. Doesn't it? We're going to eat forever. I'm on a daily exercise program, eating three times a day to make sure I'm in shape for going there. We're going to eat forever. Now, look what else we're going to do. Look what else we're going to do. Verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We're going to fellowship in the new Jerusalem, which is going to be where we would consider heaven because God and Jesus are there. And we're going to serve him. Look at verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. When we saw the face of Jesus Christ, we will fall down at his feet to worship him. That's what everybody else has done. We're going to fellowship with him in heaven forever the new Jerusalem, we're going to serve him and worship him forever. That's heaven 
forever? Or should I refer to it properly, the new Jerusalem, where God and Jesus will be? Barely touch the hem of the garment. Let me show you one more thing and we close. In Revelation 22, he says a phrase three times. Very interesting phrase. Look at verse 7. Behold, I come quickly, and blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he keeping the sayings of this book. That's how we are to live. Keep the sayings of this book. Look at the second thing he says. Verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Notice. To give every man according as his work shall be. You know what you're going to do forever? It's going to be based upon the judgment seat of Christ, which you will do forever. Your job description will be determined by what you've done in his power for his glory today. He brings a reward. That's why we live by the book. And then he concludes in verse 20. Behold, I come quickly. And John the Revelator said, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Can you join in that prayer? Even so come, Lord Jesus. I pray every day for Jesus Christ to call us to join him in the present heaven at the rapture of the church. I hope that's your prayer also. Next week, we begin a very interesting study on angels. When were they created, and what are they doing today? You don't want to miss this study. Please join us next week. That's Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Well, we're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. 
be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And over the last hour and a half, we've been looking at information pertaining to <laughs> the coming uh, of events that are going to take place during the tribulation period, which only gives us an indication of how close we are to the rapture, Rick. And as we look at these events happening around the world, it really does seem that the rapture could be any moment now. But let's take a, a, a look at some of the things that we've looked at today. What do you think, Rick, as, um, uh, would be the, the top stories, if you will, if we're looking at events that are taking place? Well, certainly, Jimmy, there's things coming out of the Middle East, uh, such as the what's taking place in Iran and then the situation in Russia, and those are key players in Bible prophecy. One of the things, though, that I really wanted to talk about, and it relates to where you are right now, is you recently just completed your third temple seminar, and one of the stories that we reported on today was the arrival of red heifers to Jerusalem, basically about the same time we got there. Yes, you know... Uh there's always red heifers that appear. We know that they watch these red heifers. To meet the requirements of the Old Testament law, a red heifer was needed to help accomplish the purification from sin. Specifically, the ashes of the red heifer were needed. The red heifer was a reddish-brown cow, probably at least two years old. It was to be without defect or blemish. And so they watched these cows for a period of time, to make sure that there are no blemishes on them, that no hairs come up that are a different color than the reddish-brown that is required to be a red heifer. And this red heifer also has to be one that's never born a yoke. The sacrifice of the red heifer was, it was unique in the law. It used a female animal. It was sacrificed away from the entrance of the tabernacle, and it was the only sacrifice in which the color of the animal was specified. And Rick, we have, and we went to the Temple Institute, we've looked at, uh, for years, we've been watching Hiram Richmond and the group there at the Temple Institute. As a matter of fact, Dad and Hiram Richmond, we went to Canton, Mississippi, where we looked at some red heifers that were being put together by a uh, Mississippi farmer, rancher, uh, crossbreeding animals to come up with them. Over the years, we get excited when there's one, not because it means anything to us today, but because it has to do with the next temple. The Jews feel like they need one. And of course, in the Jewish uh, Mishnah, it talks about 10 red heifers and that the, there's been nine so far, Rick. When the 10th one comes, they say that that's the time period where, where the Messiah will come. So in the scriptures, we don't need the red heifer, correct? That's true, Jimmy. In fact, I wanted to make that clear. And we look at the situation, and we do. We've been taking people to the Temple Institute for 25, 30 years now. We, our video is coming up on uh, over 25 years old now, coming up on our 30-year anniversary of the Ready to Rebuild video. And we're talking about the rebuilding of the Third Temple. But when we're so interested in the rebuilding of the third temple, that third temple is not going to be the temple that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from, is it? No, you're exactly right. There's two more temples to come. 
one that John was told to measure in Revelation chapter 11, the same one that Jesus said that Matthew 24, 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, Daniel talked about it in Daniel chapter 9, that there would be a temple and the Antichrist would cause the, the prayers and the sacrifices to cease at the midway point of the tribulation period. So when you look at this next temple, it will stand during the tribulation period. It has started to be rebuilt in the sense that there are men that are doing uh, studying the utensils of that temple, the red heifer. They're trying to breed red heifers that would be used in the purification process. The garments of the high priest have been put together. On our video, we show all this, and it's almost as if we're still at the same spot. We're just ready now. I think the Jewish people are ready for the Antichrist to come on the scene and say, look, you can put your temple up in that location of where it stood 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here, when Herod built his temple. Even longer than that, when Solomon put a temple there, um, their first and second temple stood there. And in the future, the third temple will stand at that same exact location. But the temple that we're looking forward to is the one that Jesus builds, and that's a temple of Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. Well, Jimmy, this temple is going to stand during the tribulation period, and that's the reason we're so excited about the preparations for this, is something that's going to take place during the tribulation period. What must happen before the tribulation period? The rapture of the church, right? Yes, uh, the rapture of the church is the next thing on God's calendar to happen. Nothing else needs to happen as far as prophecy-wise. We believe that because we believe in an imminent event of the rapture. And in order for it to be imminent, that means nothing else has to take place. The 500 remaining prophecies to be fulfilled all take place after the rapture of the church. So the rapture is the next event that happens, and then the fulfillment of those future 500 prophecies will start to be fulfilled. But you're exactly right, Rick. The rapture is the next thing to happen before we start to see even the physical building, not just the utensils, the garments, the, the red heifers, anything else that's used in the temple, but the actual putting up of the temple at that spot, the most holy spot for the Jewish people in the world, the Temple Mount, the third most holiest spot in the world for the Muslims, the Dome and the Rock. So, yes, there's controversy as to what is going to take place and how it's going to take place in the future. Well, Jimmy, if we see that those things that are going to take place in the tribulation period are <laughs> look like they could begin at any moment, and and we mm. this what we talk about in our radio program every week, that's the reason we're looking at things, because we're trying to find out where we are in God's timeline. Uh, we see these things are so close. How then should that motivate us to live? Oh, yes, and I always like to say this. Knowing this, it should motivate us to live a pure, productive life in an unholy world, uh, a holy life in an unholy world, and help us to understand the urgency of the time to tell others about God's plan of salvation for mankind. Rick, thanks so much. This week, I did the program from Jerusalem. You're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, I look forward to being back in the United States next week where we'll do the program together. Until then, should the rapture ha not happen, we will be back here next weekend. But until then, let's keep looking up. Until. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.